Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation's Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Beatrice and Genentech. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. Being Corcoran, I met when we were doing a science and innovation campaign and we became friends. I learned a little bit more about her son, Will, who has CF. Bean is very involved in the CF community. She is president of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation Connecticut chapter and the Bridge of Hope Communications director, of which she's a volunteer. And we did a podcast in the past about the Bridge of Hope and what they do. So feel free to go back and listen to that if you want to find out more about that organization, great organization that she volunteers for. And she's also a patient family partner and quality improvement leader on the pediatric CF care team at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City, and she's been doing that since 2017. She's also an artist who paints endangered animals and oils and does pottery, and she lives with her husband and their dog, Rosie. And today we're talking about Bean and her son, Will, about the impact of not being able to take a CF modulator and what that does to you both mentally and physically, and what it means to be a parent when you're watching your child not be able to be on a drug like Trikafta, something that allows the parent to breathe and think, oh, they're going to have a chance at a normal life. So Will is 26 years old. He lives in Chicago. Will was diagnosed with CF at three months old. He received a liver transplant at the age of 15. And he is unable, as I said, to benefit from modulators due to his mutations. And Will does four breathing treatments each day, rarely has more than two weeks without antibiotics, and battles hemoptysis. Will has been seen at five different CF centers and gets involved with advocacy work through family advisory boards, speaking with younger CFers, and he also sits on an adult advisory council for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. He also spends a lot of time outside with his dog, Stanley, watching Philadelphia sports, and he also works as a fundraiser for an environmentally focused nonprofit. So I'm really grateful for Bean, which is her nickname, and her son, Will, for being so honest about how this has impacted their lives. So it's great to see Will and see you again, Bean, but to meet your son, this is wonderful. Um, Even if it's over Zoom, it still is wonderful to be able to see both of you at the same time. And thanks, Will, for agreeing to talk about, you know, everything as it pertains to your cystic fibrosis. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, Bean. So, Will, why don't we start off by talking about just how you, I guess, when you first recognized that you had cystic fibrosis and what that meant to you? Sure. Um, I get asked this question sometimes, and I don't often think of a particular moment where I realized that I may have had a different situation as other kids, for example. Um, It kind of came incrementally. I remember Sometimes when I would leave the dinner table early to go do my breathing treatment or a time where um, I had to say no to a sleepover because it would be a little bit too much to bring all my 
medical equipment with me. And then, of course, there was times uh, like at the beginning of college where I had to go home earlier from a party or, you know, got sick more quickly than my peers and things like that. There's always a couple moments even nowadays where I have a moment of remembrance and think, okay, I need to remember I have a medical situation. I uh, can't always say yes to everything. And how is that? I mean, you're in the prime of your young life. 26 years old, living in Chicago. Uh, you know, I love Chicago and my daughter lives there. How does that feel? Is it just something you do or? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I'm relatively used to having to put up boundaries with friends. And that also leads to me having friends who are really supportive and a partner now that I'm very supportive as well, who uh, my friends and her are recognizing that I have a different situation as some of my peers. And um, sometimes I back out of plans last minute, which feels bad, but they also know that I always want to be among my friends and live an active lifestyle. Um, I try not to get down on myself too much because I am still extremely fortunate in so many ways. I have a great support network. I still do get to do a lot of the things that I want to do every day. I'm in a position of privilege in so many ways where I'm able to work a full-time job. I have a dog who's my best friend who gives me a lot of joy. Um, I have a really, a lot of great relationships. So although I may have to say no to, you know, going out and stay out late with friends sometimes or no to a trip that people are planning, in the end, I still have a pretty sweet life. And I'm very fortunate too to have a good like care team that's trying to keep me well. Being in America with Sia is one thing I think of often. My mom and I work with people abroad pretty frequently. And I mean, we are really fortunate in so many ways to be in America and have the medical fortune that we do with our access to medication and, you know, CF centers, adult CF centers. And that is so profound. I mean, especially for your age to know that and to say that, Will. Um, of course, I give all the credit to your mother <laughs> because... She is amazing. Um, and being hearing what Will says, you know, he's doing so well and in control of his disease. Uh, how does that make you feel? Oh, I'm just emotionally so grateful all the time. Will has always been a kid who wanted all of his ducks in a row, has lists and things for himself to keep organized. And he's just really an incredible CF patient. You know, he does four treatments a day, which is almost unheard of in this community. But he's determined to keep himself well. And um, it's just a huge relief to me. That is wonderful. And I guess, is it because like the communication is everything you're teaching him and what he's learned about the Bridge of Hope, like from one country to another? Like, how do you think he's kind of been educated and brought into that? Well, Will has always been a good caretaker on his own, of his own health. But I share a lot of the work that I do. And he's helped me um, when he was here during the COVID-19 pandemic. He helped me with some of my work as well in CF Bridge of Hope. And I share the care that I take of the patients. And he realizes, uh, I think, through a lot of that discussion, you know, just how fortunate we are. 
you know, I think it gives, I can't speak for Will, but I would think that it gives him even more determination to stay well and do his part since he's um, relatively fortunate. And what do you say to that, Will? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, my mom and dad and uh, I have three older sisters too. Like we all were exposed uh, at a young age too of just how fortunate we were in so many ways about my health situation and the fact that we're in America, but also our like financial situation and the fact that we're all such a close-knit family and that there's just like a lot of different reasons to think that we're lucky. It is now centered around maybe Bridge of Hope and the couple mentees that I have that are CFers abroad who I talk to occasionally and that there's a couple people in America that are younger than me and I think of them highly. I just get motivated by other CFers and hearing their story as well, um, being engaged with the community and hearing different trials and tribulations they may have reminds me that I, I'm i in an okay spot. I am fighting every day. Like my mom said, I do four breathing treatments a day and I have, I got a liver transplant when I was 15 and things, but I'm 26 and things are still going pretty well. They are. And, you know, you are doing so well, but still a liver transplant is huge. It is a big thing to go through and homoptosis is no fun, but you're attitude and outlook is just so wonderful. I mean, how do you keep that going? Yeah, I know that I'm a very positive person, but I'd be lying if I said I was like that intentional about it. Um, maybe it's partially my upbringing and the way my mom thinks too. I know she's a very positive person. Yeah, I just, uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, the sign of shining, which I also think is a reflection of my positive mindset. You know, like, the sun will continue to rise. The day goes on. Um, I do have moments of feeling down, of course, but it's easier to remind myself of all my fortune. And then you do have your mental health support too, right, Will? Yes. The therapist that you're fond of and work well with, right? Yeah. And all my life, I've seen a different therapists, sometimes having times without them. But, um, you know, having a toolkit of recognizing when I need to take a step back and say no to something and then filling that time instead with something that is like self-care related. For me, that's usually alone time, maybe watching a show or playing a video game and getting my mind off of things. And yeah, just over time, I think we hopefully build strategies that make us um, have a better mental outlook and perspective on things. And switching to that, something that would challenge your mental health is you go on a CF modulator, you you know, attempted to take Trikafta. Tell us when that was and then when you realized that it wasn't going to work for you. So I'd never tried one. I've never actually used the modulator. Okay. Yeah, I never was eligible. I was part of two clinical studies where they took my genes to see if they worked, but they never did, so I never tried it. So you don't have, you're part of the 10% that can't take the CF modulator, the Trikafta, because it wouldn't work for your mutations, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Will has a rare and a nonsense gene. So those are not applicable to the modulator. I want to hear from both of you. But first, Will, when you realize that, I mean, there are so many people that are in the same situation as you. Um, but when you realized that you couldn't go on this 
drug that, you know, 90% of the CF community is taking, what does that do to you mentally and even thinking about your future? Yeah, for one thing, it was incremental, you know, when the first modulator came out, which I think may have been Oracombi like eight or so years ago, and then slowly the other two came out and then Trikafta. It then became that I was part of the 10% or so people that weren't on it. And the entire time, I have been very thankful that my siblings with CF, as in others with CF, my sisters don't have CF, but other people are able to benefit because that does improve the community's health overall. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, I have also benefited from still a lot of therapies over the course of my life. Like I think the year that I was born was around when Homozyme came out. I've seen the growth of vest systems unbelievably. Like, you know, when I was born, I think we were using cupping and then I got the vest for maybe four or five. And now, of course, I use a Monarch, which is like an unbelievable piece of technology. Um, Over time, like I have benefited from a lot of the great new drug discoveries. And although I'm not on a modulator, which may have been in a lot of people's mind, the paramount drug that's come out, I also know it's not perfect for everyone. Um, Some people, like you said, have to be taken off it because of, mental health concerns or uh, liver disease or some people gain too much weight unbelievably imagine that thought a few years ago that that would be a thing right so yeah there's a few ways that i rationalize it to myself but yes i'd be lying of course if i said that i didn't have moments where i really wish i could use a modulator but i know my time will come whether it be a modulator or some other type of amazing um, therapy for people like me uh, to be able to have a better healthcare outcome. So one thing I often say when I speak with people at the foundation is that when I do my breathing treatments all day, I am thinking of people at the foundation, people in the lab that are making new drugs or the fundraisers or the staff that are engaging with the community. I'm playing my role in trying to find new um, drug discoveries and things, and they are too. I really like to think it's a team effort that all of us are working towards. So it's not like I'm just sitting around with my, like sitting on my hands, I'm able to do anything. It's like I am working to put myself in the best position so that when the drugs do come out, I can benefit from them. And that reminds me of something my daughter Emily said, who is your age. She's 26 and she's the one who lives in Chicago. And she said, so she was able to go on Trikafta, but had a reaction after nine days and was off of it for a couple of years. But when she spoke to the doctors at the University of Michigan during a family day, she said, but I was living my life. My life didn't stop. I was living my life. I was doing all my other treatments. And she was talking about how frustrating it was that everybody kept saying to her, oh, my gosh, you've got to get back on track after you've got to blah, blah, blah. It was she was like, just remember, when you say something like that to somebody who isn't on Trikafta, you're making them feel bad. Cool. And she talked about how it really started to wear on her. And she just had to say, you know what? We don't need to talk about Trikafta anymore. I I can't be on it. Um, She was lucky in that she did get desensitized to it and get back on it. But that's still her thought and her message, you know. For people who aren't on it, she reminded the doctors and the nurses, don't keep pushing it. You know, remember what you're doing to us mentally making us feel like we are, we're, there's something defective or wrong if we can't go on the drug. And 
that I think is a good transition to you being like, how did you feel? Because I know I was really sad when Emily went off track after the first time, just because you're hoping like, oh my gosh, this is going to keep you so healthy. But I also came to realize all the pressure that it also puts on our kids. Yeah. I mean, like, well, you know, we knew from number a number of years ago that the modulators were not in his toolkit. And, um, you know, I work as the chair of the Connecticut chapter of the CF Foundation and have done that for many years. I have a great team here in Connecticut. And, you know, we all work for all of the patients with CF. And I am very, very uh, happy and grateful that so many people, especially young people and olds, their lives have been changed incrementally. Um, They should be living a good, long, normal life. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm also grateful that the CF Foundation realized right away and changed their motto to until it's done because they wanted people like Will to know they weren't leaving him behind. And that was a very beautiful thing. And I'm grateful to all the fundraising that's done now in that vein that they're thinking of Will and others like him and the research at the Lexington, Massachusetts lab is geared around gene editing. Um, Again, for the very reason that they know that they don't want to leave anyone behind. And so I couldn't be more grateful for that. And that is wonderful. And so, Will, do you talk to other people, other people that are in the 10%? Is there a support group that you're talking to? Is that necessary? Or what are your feelings on on this? Yeah, I think uh, with all aspects of CF, it's important you have people you can talk through about it all. And yeah, there's a few different avenues. I mean, I talk to my mom and I talk about it often. Um, I'm part of a couple different, you know, advocacy type groups, the Adult Advisory Council, which is part of the CF Foundation. I'm actually the only person that's not on a modulator or has not had a uh, lung transplant that's on it. But generally speaking, there's conversations there about people like us who can't benefit from, you know, modulators in that way. And um, thankfully, I have some other friends too with CF that are either on a modulator, had to get taken off it or not on it for other reason and just keep talking it out. And also, I mean, I just like to, I talk about it with people that don't have CF too or not involved in the community, some close friends and hearing their perspective on it is fascinating. And I mean, one other thing I think of is that among the rare diseases, you know, the thousands of them that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. CF is one, given the population that we have of like 40,000 in America, we are unbelievably fortunate that the foundation is as successful as it is given the population, the number of people with the illness, that makes sense. Right. So the foundation has made unbelievable strides and I'm just confident that's going to continue to improve upon this work that's already done. So what's your hope? What are you aware of coming down the pike? What is, you know, your hope? for a modulator that will work for you? There's a lot, and it may not just be a modulator. It might be gene editing, which would really be a near cure for so many illnesses, any genetic illness you could really think of. There's phage therapy, which could be really helpful for certain bugs that you may be growing. 
uh, modulators itself. I'm sure they're going to improve on Trikafta and make it that it's accessible for more uh, illnesses. I just read there was some type of maybe first uh, clinical study stage for uh, inhaled um, gene editing type drugs. So that's great that it's like actually moving forward in the clinical trial process. And I mean, one thing is, to be frank, I don't always read too much news about the new medical advancements because although they are hopeful, you know, when I read that thing about the stage one trial, that's great. But that also means it's years out. That means that's probably minimum two years to be access to somebody like me. I also got a liver transplant. That means that they probably wouldn't trial it on me. They would trial it on more relatively healthy folks and then I'll get it at some point. So if I get myself too wrapped up in the timeline of all these things, it can become a little bit much. I have to kind of just focus on my health a day at a time, a week at a time, because things have changed significantly for me in the past uh, three years, five, six years, you know. Um, CF is degenerative and I've been doing four breathing gym now for maybe six years or so. Um, but as time goes on, things continue to advance and I have to just be open to any option. It's very exciting, too, to learn about things and then sometimes disheartening because I know Translate Bio had this inhaled um, modulator that they were, well, it was mRNA, that they were working on. And then they were bought by a bigger pharma and so that whole thing stopped. And I do know what you're mm-hmm. saying, because Emily was always like, uh, I don't want to hear about it until it's in my hand. Yeah. When it's in my hand, let me know. But until then, I can't think about every time there's a new possibility that takes a couple of years. And Bean, what does it do, you know, to you mentally as far as waiting goes and, you know, your hopes um, that we'll, we'll get something soon? Well, Will and I are... Um, partners in his CF care. And one of the parts that I believe is important for himself and me is to stay upbeat. So again, I also try not to look too far in the future. You know, I do read about what's going on, but um, although I'm not a religious person, I do have faith that something will come uh, for Will in time. And uh, I'm just glad that he keeps himself so well in preparation. So that's where I sit. I'm waiting, I'm hopeful, and uh, I'm grateful for his health at the moment. Absolutely. And you know, Emily Kramer-Golenkoff with uh, Emily's entourage, she's working, she's part of the 10% and she's doing so much research and, and doing so much to get the final 10%, you know, um, a modulator. So there is so much hope. What other blessings and maybe struggles do you have um, that you either think about or you can relate to other people as you go day to day, Will? That's a good question. I mean, like we were saying earlier, I mean, there's no better time. It's a funny way to say it, but like no more fortunate time to have CF as right now, you know, born in 2023 or around this time period, like there are more drugs and mm-hmm. therapies than ever. Um, so we're really fortunate than people before us that way. And I work with the CF Foundation quite a bit and I have a lot of faith in them. So I hope that may give solace to anyone else who 
is maybe not as engaged with the community and they might not be as aware in the impact that the foundation's making and trying to make strides. And with modulators specifically, I mean, there may come a time where people that are on modulators right now are not able to uh, be as in a good position from them. The efficacy of them all may decline slightly, hopefully not, but it's not like the modulator is a cure. The foundation's going to need to find one. Right. Um, so that time will come. And yeah, I try to remind myself, like I was saying before, when I do my breathing treatments, there are people working in the lab. There are people who dedicate their entire lives to the science that is finding a cure for SIA. So we can only control what we uh, have in front of us. So for me, that's my personal health. And it does also um, make me really happy when I do engage with younger CFers um, and be able to talk to them about their situation and hopefully um, give them some type of blueprint or model to work off of and um, try and impart the lessons I've learned in time so that they just have a better health outcome and that their mental health is in a strong position and things. That's, I mean, like I've heard talked about on your podcast too, I mean, the connection between our physical and mental health is abundantly clear. If we're not taking time to talk about these subjects that are pretty sensitive and delicate, can be emotional, um, if nothing else, and we're not uh, valuing our mental health, then we're not going to be able to have good lung, digestive, sinus, all the other CF issues. So. Right. It's all so important. And I think it's really also important to remember that as excited as we are about Trikafta, it is not a cure and people still are getting sick on this, you know, while they're on this drug. So while it's huge, you know, there's a long way to go um, as we continue trying to figure out how to deal with CF and all the exacerbations and everything that comes with it. Bean, what is your hope for the future? Well, I guess you could say I kind of put my eggs in one basket because I just understand that gene editing is probably the way we're going to go. So I uh, really have hope for that, for Will and the other patients and families that I uh, have come to know over the years. And I just hope that Will can stay well enough until we get there. And I'm depending on the CF Foundation to bring us there. Wonderful. And Will, how have you educated, I don't know if you needed to educate your girlfriend or your friends, but how does that path go? Yeah, it's a good question. It's delicate. I mean, I have some friends that, uh, you know, know that I have some type of lung issue and they don't know what CF is. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I think it's good to have some friends that I can hang out with and I don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be on anyone's mind. And then, of course, um, some of my closest friends know so much about my CF and I'm updating them regularly, like when I'm impatient and things and they know details that they may wish they did not know because it might be graphic or too intense. And um, so it's case by case, my friends. And with my girlfriend, yeah, it's delicate. It is so challenging to have someone that close to you in your life that you care so much about to, I think, for them to realize that you have a, you know, a serious illness that causes harm in one way or another and um, threatens, you know, their life in a lot of ways. So 
thankfully my girlfriend is um, extremely thoughtful. We have good conversations around it. Um, I think the conversations always grow and I am always about being honest and transparent too. I think I, you know, I don't want to mislead anyone. Uh, and I am trying to be upfront about where I'm at. Um, one thing I have told a lot of my friends and my people with about CF is really not to research too much on their own. CF is so different case by case. And there is, um, a lot of information on the internet that I think can be scary. I think that's also something we may tell um, new parents of people with CF. You know, if you look up stuff about CF and look at the Wikipedia and everything other than the CF Foundation website, it's pretty daunting and it paints a pretty bleak picture. And that's really not the reality for so many people with CF, especially nowadays. Life expectancy is growing every single year. Um, we're not as worried about some of the issues that we had previously because we have drugs like Pomosarm, we have Vest. So I try and tell them, let me tell my own story and my situation. Cause that's gonna, I'm gonna be honest and, uh, properly inform you and kind of just try to leave that door open for open communication so that it can be, uh, an evolving conversation. I'm also always open to any questions that I don't hide my CF. Um, it's a major part of my identity. One that at times I may not jump to bring up in conversation, but when it does come up, I um, want to be open about it. And I love that. I love the openness and your willingness to educate other people and answer questions. That's really important because otherwise people think things in their own head, right? Or make assumptions about what your disease might mean. And um, Bean, you did a great job. I mean, he's, look at him. He's doing fantastic. I mean, I know there's challenges and, and things like that, and I don't know if there was anything else that you wanted to touch on, either Bean or Will, about the challenges of CF, but anything else that you're working on or that you're moving toward in regard to your path, your CF path? The last thing I'd add is that it's not like I'm doing this on my own. The support network is critical to my health. I mean, my mom, for example, still helps me deal with insurance challenges, for example, and ordering medications at times. After every appointment, I call my mom and talk to her about it. I have my girlfriend, my uh, best friend, Jacob. I have my two sisters here in Chicago and another one in Vermont, all of which are helping me so much. My dad and I are talking about my CF regularly. Uh, my care team, uh, of course, they're the ones so directly helping me choose medication. It's, it's a team effort. It takes a village to manage my CF. Uh, I've learned also to be better about asking for assistance when I need. Easy example is the air quality issues we've seen in Chicago over the summer. Mm -hmm. I have had days where I have not gone outside and I've asked my friends to come walk my dog for me and things as one easy example. But yeah, I owe a lot of my um, positive health situation to my support network, especially my mom. And that's the reason why I'm in uh, as good of a position as I am right now. And I'll take a moment, if you don't mind, to just brag a little bit. Yeah, you should, because what he just said was so beautifully stated and so honest. I had the privilege of raising four children, and each of them are really very beautiful human beings. And Will is just a very special young man. 
He is thoughtful and kind and generous with his time. And, you know, I happen to be the lucky one to be part of his life. So that's, and any little bit that I can do to help him with his CF care, I'm very happy to do anytime. And the insurance aspect of it is crazy. I think we can <laughs> all agree. I mean, I'm in the midst of, you know, watching and helping Emily as she transitioned from our insurance to her own because she's 26. Will, you're the same age. So nightmare, exhausting. Yes, we just did that as well. Mm -hmm. It was a trail. Yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. Uh, that's, you know, one of our big issues in the healthcare system is our insurance situation and um, how much red tape they create, especially for people with major illnesses like CF. It's uh, really a pity. And I mean, thankfully, Emily has you, Laura, and I have my mom to help me. It's so time intensive. I work a full-time job. I can't spend all this time nine to five, you know, trying to figure things out. And it's really challenging. That's a good example of how we use our support network to help figure things out and work to get ourselves with the medications we need, et cetera. I would agree. Great points. Um, I just wanted to thank you both for talking on this podcast. I mean, we've just seen just a little slice into your life, but I think everybody that hears this will be inspired by what you shared, Will, and, and how you're dealing with the fact that you are in this 10%. So thanks for sharing that with us. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate your time. Thank you for creating a platform for CFers and their families to talk through our situation. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much, Laura. I love your podcast. And I'm so glad that we've become friends through this. Me too. We're CF mom strong for sure. <laughs> The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Beatrice and Genentech. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. It was produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.